Well, we'll be looking at Psalm 71 this morning. I've entitled it Along Obedience, this message. But if you would, hold on to Psalm 71, but would you turn to Isaiah chapter 40? I want to look at Isaiah chapter 40 by way of introduction. And so we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40, looking at verses 25 through 31. As you're turning there, it's likely that verse 31 is familiar to you. It's been on a lot of Christian t-shirts. It's on plaques up in homes and that kind of stuff. But I wanted to give a little context. I want to kind of use this section of scripture to get us thinking in the same direction as we move into Psalm 71. And so starting in verse 25, this is the Lord speaking. Okay, The Lord says this, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So let's stop there for just a second. We don't want to go into too much context here. You can kind of uh, study this on your own. And I taught through Isaiah way back when, and so you can listen to that online. But it's very important for us to understand when we start with God, we start with God as creator. You know, it's no mistake that the Bible starts with the creation. So it's very, very important for us to have an an understanding of God, that God is the creator. Because as it's been well said, if you can believe the first verse in the Bible, you can believe all the rest. If you can believe there is an, an uncreated God who made the heavens and the earth because he merely spoke them into existence, and what happens for you and I is it gives us great confidence in who God is. And so often when we don't start with God as creator, what happens is it really we put everything on our shoulders. It's up to us, and I don't know how strong God is. Always want to start with God as creator. Okay, he's the creator. He can do these things, and that's what he's saying here in Isaiah. And so we'll move on now. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? So he's talking to the nation. He says, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. And so basically saying here that Israel is complaining, things aren't working out, it's not going the way they want it to, to go. He says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no strength, he, uh, he, sorry, to those who have no might, he increases strength. So whatever they're going through at this time, or we can kind of put ourselves in this place, whatever we might go, be going through, we look around the world and how things are going, and, and we have this tendency to say, well, it just can't be done. We just can't make it. It's just too much. It's gone too far. And the Lord says, let me hold, stop you right there. Have you forgotten that I have all power? Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? God doesn't want us to trust more and more in ourselves. He wants us to trust more and more in him. And the power that he has and the things he's provided. And so if you look and you say, well, I'm kind of one, I'm I'm feeling weary and and, and I'm feeling weak. Well, God says he's the one who strengthens the weary. He's the one who gives might to those who need it. And he says, even youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. So even though a person may have like the vigor of youth, that doesn't last forever. And then here's the verse. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, it's interesting. We can, we can take verse 31 a lot of different ways, but I, I heard a few months ago a, a kind of a different understanding of this verse that I've come to believe. And the, the pastor who was speaking about this, I believe it was David Guzik, he was talking about how this is really a picture of the Christian life. 
that when you first start off with the Lord, you are mounting up with wings like eagles. You're just flying and you're soaring and you're like, why isn't everyone doing this thing? And what happens is over time, you know, it gets a little bit harder. And so you move from flying to running. Okay. And then after a while of running the Christian life, you're like, you know what? The Bible talks a lot about walking. (laughs) Maybe I'll start walking right now. And so I think that's really something God does because if you live long enough, what happens? God diminishes your physical strength. Those things, that's part of the process of what he's doing here on life on planet Earth. And I think part of what he's doing in that is causing us to depend on him more and more. It's to slow down. And so you can look at it like a really vibrant, you know, young 20-something believer. And then you can look at someone who's like steady in the faith, still walking with the Lord. And they're maybe their late 60s and early 70s. And they don't have that, that natural vigor that they had when they were young. But there's, a, there's solidity to that faith. There's they've been through some things. They're that, that battle-hardened veteran. And there's a reason why you think about in the military why they don't put 20-year-olds in charge of everything. Because there needs to be somebody who has some wisdom, who's been through some battles, some, some difficulties. And so I kind of want to talk about that today because as you turn now to Psalm 71, um, it, it's, a, it's an anonymous psalm. We don't know who wrote it, but many people believe that whoever the psalmist was, he was older. That, that he was, you know, a little later in life. And, and so the idea here, as he kind of goes through this psalm and asks for help that we want to really want to focus on, is that God is able to strengthen those who trust in them no matter their physical condition, no matter their age, no matter where they are in life. God is able to empower us, hear me please, to fulfill a long obedience, to fill, fulfill a long obedience in the same direction. And so this title, A Long Obedience, I was joking with Brandy yesterday about this. Who knows how many different sermons I've taught over the last 20 years that had the same title. <laughs> and so she, she conjectured maybe five or six probably over time because I just think it's so helpful for us because that's really what we want to be. We want to be believers who continue on in a long obedience in the same direction. But if we're looking to how vibrant we look in the mirror... Or if we're looking to what has to be in certain physical health or all these things, we're going to faint and fall because we're trusting in the wrong things. We want to trust in a God whose power is not diminished, though our physical power may diminish, be diminished. We're trusting in a God who is able to keep us, to make us faultless before his throne. So that's what we want to focus on. We want to focus more and more. I want to trust more on the Lord. If I'm going to continue on in this long obedience, it has to be because I'm trusting in him, not because I'm bringing something to the table that is just so awesome or so amazing. So let's move on here in in Psalm 71. Again, it's an anonymous anonymous psalm. But one thing I want to kind of talk about by way of introduction is that commentators have shown that there are many allusions to other verses. So many allusions to other verses. In other words, if you kind of go through with a commentary here, you'll say, huh, that verse sounds a lot like Psalm so-and-so. And this verse sounds a lot like that. And this verse sounds like it's from Exodus. And so what I believe is, is so important about that is that this psalmist was very familiar with the scriptures. This psalmist understood it. And that's how you and I should be. We should be people who are so familiar with the Bible, we're studying it, we're reading it, we're listening to sermons, we're listening to audio Bibles, then what happens when we begin to pray, kind of automatically, we start praying the scriptures. And maybe not that we were actively seeking to memorize the scriptures, but it's good, it's good to actively memorize the scriptures. But if you familiarize yourself with it so much, you'll remember it. You know, there's certain TV shows that I've watched too many times, and I can tell you all the lines. 
and I know what's coming next. Well, that's how it should be for us in the scriptures, that we know the next line, that we know what's coming next. And so this becomes a part of our language, and that's what we have from whoever wrote Psalm 71. So let's start off with these first three verses. The psalmist writes, In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given me the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Now, a lot, again, a lot of these themes, if you've been with us any length of time through the Psalms, a lot of themes that are, are repeated over and over again. And so as I move through here, I'm going to kind of cherry pick some things that I want to focus in on, that I want to dive into. And so the first thing I want to, uh, to focus on is a familiar thing for the psalmist, that he's in a difficult situation. Right? Please remind yourself of this. If you are, well, I'll just say this. If you're a person on planet Earth, you're going to have difficulty. <laughs> Unbelievers have difficulty and believers have difficulty. But sometimes because of false teachings or because of wish fulfillment, we have this idea, yeah, I had problems as an unbeliever, but once I became a believer, I shouldn't have problems anymore. We're confusing the Permian Basin with heaven. <laughs> I know they're real similar. Uh, but we want to remind ourselves that these are two different places. The day is coming when we're not going to have any more problems, when they're going to have no more tears and any of those things, but that, that day is not today. So as long as you are inhabiting this fallen body, living in this fallen world, you're going to have problems. That's just reality. So remember that. Now, notice here in verse 2, the psalmist says, deliver me in your righteousness. I love that. We want to always remember that we're delivered because of his righteousness. That's what we want to depend on. Don't depend on your righteousness. Sometimes we can kind of deceive ourselves into think that we're righteous, that we're pretty good and things are going well in our life because we're just, I mean, we're just crossing our T's and dotting our I's. And then the Lord will bring something along to say, hey, maybe you're not that righteous. <laughs> maybe you're not that great. So we don't ever want to depend. Don't ever say, well, Lord, you know, you know give me justice. You don't want justice. Oh, Lord, you just do. No, no, no. Lord, deliver me because of your righteousness. And I love how Paul put it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. I'll read it for you. Paul says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, this is what theologians like to call the imputed righteousness of Christ. In other words, all of us or none of us are righteous. Right? None of us in this room are righteous on our own. None of us measure up. But because we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, then God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. That, that, that from a, a positional standpoint, you and I are righteous. That's the only reason we can come to God. That's the only reason we can pray for him. That's why we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Because he has done that. So now... When we would say, okay, I, I come to you, Father, in Christ's righteousness, asking you for help, that's a prayer that God can hear. But if we come and say, Lord, you need to do this and that for me because I've been pretty good, that, that's, no, that's entitlement. There's no room for that with the Lord. Let's move on to verses 4 through 6 now. It says, deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God, for you are my trust from my youth. You, by you, I have been upheld from birth. 
You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. Now, the psalmist acknowledged that God's hand was upon him his whole life. It's very interesting. And you kind of think about that. Uh, The Apostle Paul, for the mess that he was before he became a believer, he talks in in, in one of his letters about how God set him apart from his mother's womb. You read about John the Baptist and about how John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. You read about Jeremiah and others whose God set apart. And, and, and those are the ones we know about. But in reality, every single believer has been known by God from their mother's womb. And in fact, every person, whether believer or unbeliever, has been created by God, knit together by God. And that's very important for us. And we'll kind of remind ourselves of this. So would you turn to Psalm 139? Psalm 139, the pace we're going, we'll get here in, I don't know, year 2030. Um, so Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. As you're turning here, I, I want to hit on a very important topic, and, and it's this idea that the Bible should influence my theology, not experience. Okay, there's, there's a lot that's come out and kind of some famous pastors that are falling out, off the wagon, that they're going into false teaching, that they're apostatizing because they're allowing experiences to influence their theology instead of just saying, this is what the scripture said. Okay, and so I, I want to kind of talk about that a little bit here in Psalm 139 verses 13 through 18 because this is one of the sections of scripture that tells us conclusively that life begins in, at conception and so supporting abortion is inappropriate for a believer. Doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the law says. No believer should be a support of this. Now, there are people who have had abortions before they were believers and they've repented of that and there's forgiveness for that. And there's restoration for that. And so we, we must make that clear. But it is vital that if we are going to be believers who are, are faithful and obedient, that the scripture determines what we believe. Now we don't look around and kind of what does culture say and let me just do that. So here, starting in, in Psalm 139, verse 13, David writes, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, I want to expand on verse 15 because obviously David is using some figurative language, and if you've seen the Lord of the Rings, David is not saying that he's some orc that comes out of the grounds. Okay, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, what have you been doing with your life? All right. What David is saying is he's using his mother's womb because his mother's womb, it's a, it's a secret hidden place. He's, he's comparing that like to in the depths of the earth. That's what he's doing. Okay, so, so it's, it's vivid imagery. And then he says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, were, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, I, I find verse 16 to be incredibly fascinating I have no idea how to work it out. I've kind of wrestled with it back and forth, and it's just in wonder to think about this. But, but the picture that I want you to get here is that God has known you your whole life, that God created you. He made you. He has a purpose and plan for you. He's directing you so that he might bring that about. And, and then instead of just stopping there, as I was going to do originally, when I was putting this study together, when I went back over this morning, I was like, well, let's, let's add it in verses 17 and 18. 
Because I think verses 17 and 18 will bring a tremendous encouragement to us. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there would be more than in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. I would encourage you to take some time this week to meditate on those verses. That God's thoughts toward you, believer, are more than the sand on the seashore. And as you pray for your loved ones who maybe don't know the Lord yet or strayed from the Lord, realize that, that the Lord's thinking about them too. That he has those thoughts toward them. And so this should bring great comfort and, and relationship with the Lord as we consider these truths. And so, um, so we look at that. As you turn back now to Psalm 71, we might say, well, the Lord saw me all the days of my life, but I've wasted a lot of those days. A lot of those days haven't been used for him. Well, here's the deal. You can't do anything about the days that have gone by. You can repent, right, if you need repentance. But, but there's, there's a wonderful thing that happens. That, that there's a lot of lessons to be learned from football. And the one thing is if you're a cornerback in football and if you get burned, what they tell you is next play. Let's move on to the next play. Okay, and that's what we need to do as believers. Instead of sitting around talking about all the things in the past that we've done wrong or that people have done wrong to us, let's offer those to the Lord once and for all, and then let's, let's live today. Let's, let's live today in the power that God provides and obey today. Because too many Christians, they, they sit around kind of fretting over all that the things they've done in the past and all the days they've wasted. And ironically, they begin to waste the current days focusing on the past. So offer those things to the Lord. Let go of those things and move on. All right, let's continue on to verse 7. He says, I have become a wonder to many but you are my strong refuge. This word wonder there, it actually means a puzzle or a riddle. In other words, as people looked at the psalmist that he's serving the Lord, they just can't figure him out. What's going on here? Why is this guy serving the Lord? And, and so I think that's really interesting, and it reminded me of something that Peter wrote. So would you turn near the end of your Bibles? Lots of places to turn today. Keep you engaged. First Peter chapter 4. So near the end of your Bibles... I want to look at verses 1 through 5 in this idea that as we as believers will be a puzzle or a riddle to others. First Peter 4, looking at verses 1 through 5. We read, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So I'll stop there for just a second. So, you know, talking about Christ, right? He died for us, and that we as believers, that we should no longer live in sin anymore because we've been crucified with Christ. And so I love that picture in verse 2. He says that he no longer, so talking about believers, should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. I love that phrase, the rest of his time in the flesh. You and I have an expiration date. This flesh has an expiration date. The day is coming where these bodies are no longer going to function. We're going to be absent from the body. We're going to be present with the Lord. And so we don't, thankfully, God doesn't tell us what that expiration date is. Because if you're anything like me, you would lose your mind. Uh, trying to figure out all of the things that you need to do or have to get done. So what he's just saying is, is in settle down, realize you have a, a little bit of however much time left in your flesh. And so 
don't live in the, the lusts of men anymore, but live for the will of God. And then I love how it continues. He says, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He said, yeah, we used to live like that. Let's not do that anymore. And then here's where the strange thing comes in, the puzzle, the wonder, the riddle. He says, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. So just embrace that. Embrace that the world thinks that you're weird and strange and backwards because you don't chase after the same things they do. Just embrace that and say, that's okay. And say, you can tell them, I wasted enough of my life doing those things. I wasted enough time. I hurt enough people. I don't need to be like that anymore. That's not what I'm seeking. And then Peter reminds us, says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That those who continue on in those things, they're going to, to give an account. Now, now, here's the thing I want to bring out of this, is that as believers, we should be a wonder to unbelievers, we should be strange. We should be weird, but in a good way. You know, we can be strange just in a strange way, and that's not helpful. <laughs> Let's be strange in a good way. Let's be different. I thought a lot, you know, the, the last couple of weeks about this guy that was an RA in my dorm. Don't even remember his name. I don't remember how many conversations we had, but he was strange to me. He was wonder. He, he, was, he was a puzzle. He was a riddle. He was a, a big old guy. Who, who loved people, and he was walking with the Lord. And as an unbeliever there in Crocker Hall, I couldn't, I couldn't understand him. Why is this guy so peaceful? Why is this guy so loving? Why well, don't want to be around this guy? He, he probably doesn't know this, but he impacted my life. The, 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 the memories that I'm talking about, it's like 1996, 1997, you know, for some of you guys, you're like, I didn't even know that the calendar went back that far. Uh, but the reality is he was that strange person that had a huge impact in my life. And, and so it's, it's important for us that, you know, as, as we are growing in Christ's likeness, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, that we become more and more unlike the world around us. Okay, and it's not something, you know, fake. I'm not saying make up some list of rules to make you look different from the world. That's not what I'm asking. I'm saying as, as you and I just walk out this walk with Christ, this journey he has us on, we're going to naturally be different. Our, effect, our affections are going to change. And so I'd encourage us toward that. I want to read for you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. You're, you're actually pretty near there, so you can turn there if you like. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 13, it's kind of... Uh, the context is some of the old covenant saints, and it says this in Hebrews eleven thirteen. It says these all those so those Old Testament saints they these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and notice and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So you and I. We can live lives of purpose and of usefulness to the Lord if we realize I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. My kingdom's not for this place. Uh, this is not what I'm about. I, I'm on a journey toward the Lord, and I want to invite as many people as possible to come with me, right? That's what I want to do. 
And, and so we want others, we want to invite others to join us as we move from this world to the next one. But if we're not focused on the next world, if we're not focused on the Lord, if we're not embracing that we're going to be strangers and pilgrims and riddles to those around us, then we're going to do what I see a lot of contemporary churches do. Let's be as much like the world as possible. Let's just, just be like them so we can relate to them. You know, Jesus became a man to relate to us, but he didn't become like us in the sense of being a sinner, of just doing everything we did. Jesus is the strangest person who ever lived in the best possible way. And so as we become more like him, we're going to be strangers as well. We'll be strangers for a reason, and we're going somewhere. All right, let's turn back, if you would, to Psalm 71, verse 8. It says, let my mouth be filled with your praise and your glory all the day. This word praise, it means a song or hymn of praise. So it just speaks about singing. Um, and then glory speaks of beauty or splendor and the appreciation of God's beauty or splendor. And so the psalmist wants to sing to the Lord and give him glory all day. But how is this possible? The psalmist didn't even have Spotify. I mean, how in the world is he going to be able to sing these psalms all day? Well, I want to think about the process for just a minute. And so I was talking to a friend of mine, and he compared how I teach on a Sunday morning to school. And I think he thought it was going to be insulting, and I was just like, yes, I love that. Right? Whenever I teach a Bible study, it is a lot like school. Because I'm trying to equip you as saints for the work of the ministry. And so I want, you to, I want to get you thinking What's the actual process by which I, as a believer, can be a person who sings praise all day, who focuses on uh, glory? Because that's not just going to happen. There's a process to it. And so let me give you a few verses and take you through the process. The first verse I want to read to you is Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke 6, 45. Jesus said this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good... And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Okay. So the unguarded mouth reveals the heart. Okay. So what comes out of our mouth starts in our heart. Now we can all lie and deceive, right? We can do all that, but only for so long, right? We're going to slip up. If our heart is bad, it's going to come out through our mouth. Okay. So the mouth reveals the heart. Okay, let's take the next step. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so what we treasure trains our hearts. Notice, whatever you treasure, your heart is connected to it. Okay, and then whatever your heart is like, the words come out of that. So track with me. Our unguarded words reveal our hearts. Our hearts reveal what we treasure. So here's the key. If you and I want to praise and glorify God, we must learn to treasure him. That's the key. The reason why you and I as believers don't sing praise and glory to him more often is because we treasure other things. Think about this. It's, it's impossible. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Praise naturally springs up for whatever we honor, whatever we treasure. You know, if we're going for a certain football team today and they win, we will speak about that. We'll talk about it. Did you see that play? And did you see when they did this thing and that? That's natural because we treasure victory. We think that that's an important thing. So naturally what happens is our heart is drawn to that and those words come out. So it is for you and I. It's not going to happen by accident. You see, there's no shortcut to treasuring God. It takes time and it takes intention. 
God's a lot like coffee. Nobody likes him at first. <laughs> yeah, but then what happens is over time, the more time you spend with the Lord and you get to know him and you wrestle with him and you pray to him and he speaks to you, then what happens is over time, just like coffee, you're addicted to him. You need him more and more and more. And so the more that we get to know the Lord, the greater he'll become in our eyes. The more majestic he'll be, the more important he'll be. And, and so I want to give you a promise. Is if, you're, if you're thinking about doing this, you say, I, I do want to treasure the Lord so that I have a right heart that's connected to him. So the right words of glory and praise come out of my mind. I want to give you a promise to take to the Lord. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. I have seen it fulfilled in my own life. This is what the Lord promises. Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, lest I be accused of taking it out of context, let me give you the context. This context is given to unfaithful people, unfaithful uh, Israelites who are going to be taken into Babylonian captivity. And as they're taken to Babylonian captivity, God says to Jeremiah, tell them when they're there. Tell them when they're in Babylon that if they, they will seek me and find me when they search for me with all their heart. So here's the application I'm going to make for you and I. If God is telling people who are taken into Babylonian captivity that the moment they turn to me in that captivity and seek me, they're going to find me, do you not think that he'll do the same thing for you, a believer, who has the imputed righteousness of Christ, who's been born again by the Spirit? Take God at his word. Start using the scriptures and praying those things back to him. When, when the, Something that's kind of happened by accident is my own prayer times in the morning, you know, kind of through a series of events. I'll open it up to Philippians chapter 4. You know, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. And you guys know the verses. And I'll set my prayer cards on top of that. And I'll see those verses as I pray for people. Because what I'm saying to God is, I'm trusting that you're going to answer these things because this is what your word says. Because this is who you are. This is not about me coming to you because I'm anybody special because I know that I'm not. And the Lord knows that I'm not. But, but when we do that, when we take him at his word and say, I want you to fulfill your word, I want to know you, I want to find you, I want to have a relationship with you, what good father whose child comes to them and says, I would just like to know you as much as possible. I would like to have as close relationship with you as possible. What good father or what good mother would say, you know what, forget you, kid. I don't really want to know you. I don't really want to spend time with you. I've got other things to do. Your God is infinite. That means he can give all of his attention to each one of us because he's got plenty of it. So please understand these things. Take these things to heart and you're going to see your life changed. Let's continue on. Psalm 71 verses 9 through 11. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him, pursue and take him, and there is none to deliver him. So I want to encourage you, God is not going to cast you off in your old age. There's a lot of things that we're not as good at when we get older. There's, you know, and, and, and if you want to feel old, teach at a high school. Because <laughs> they stay in the same general age, and every year I get older. And so it's, it's, it's a real challenge. But, but you know what? The Lord doesn't cast us off. Go through the scriptures and see how the Lord says about honoring the older person, uh, the, you know, the wisdom that comes with that. And so, so you know what? Please, please embrace what the age that you are. 
embrace where you are in life. And even as your, your physical body starts failing, then you know what? Use that to say, I'm going to become increasingly dependent upon the Lord. I need to trust the Lord more and more and more. Because here's what God's doing as he allows our bodies to degrade. He is loosening the tethers of this world. He is, he is you know, starting to unravel all these tendrils that this world holds on to us. He's, he's telling us, hey, there's something better for you. The best is yet to come. So don't hold on so tight to this life. Because the day I'm, is coming when I'm going to take you home. And I want you to remember, too, as you, know, you and I are every day one step closer to that meeting with Christ that we read in Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That this is meaningful. So, so God's got a plan for every day of your life, and he's not going to cast you off as you get older. Verses 12 through 13, Oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. And again, just a reminder, once again, as we often have in Psalms, as long as we're in this life, we will have enemies. And the more faithfully that you serve the Lord, the more enemies you're going to have. And so I'm going to remind you of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, where Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Okay, so that's like pretty scary. It's bad news. But then he says this, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Okay, so we're in it together, right? As believers, we're in it together. And one of the ways that we can combat the devil and keep staying strong and be vigilant till the end is to spend time getting to know each other. To spend time in a relationship with each other, spend time talking with each other and praying with each other. Because then we begin to realize, oh, everybody's got problems. Everybody's got difficulties. And it will encourage one another in the faith. We're not meant to walk this faith alone. We're body of believers. We want to continue on in that fellowship. Verses 14 through 16 now. It says, but I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. Okay, so what I want to get from verses four through 14 through 16 is instead of fixating on our enemies, then I'm asking you and I'm asking me to turn our attention to the Lord. Okay, that's what we have here. He's turning from his enemies, right? Because verses 12 through 13 were all about his enemies. And then he says, okay, that's what's going on here. Deliver me from that. But as for me, I'm going to hope continually on you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to seek you. That's what you and I need to do. Stop looking around and look up. Okay? Stop looking around and look up. Turn off Fox News and CNN. Okay? Close your phone. Just, just, just stop that and look up to the Lord, okay? Because he's the one who set your days. He's the one. So, so it's very important for us because as we look around at this life, there's very little we can do, but, but you can go over their heads. Okay, go over the heads of your enemies. Go over the heads of this world and pray to the Lord and praise the Lord. Just go directly to him. Go to the one who can do something about the craziness of this world. He's the one we want to go to. Now, I want you to please notice the end of verse 16 again. He says, I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. 
I've seen a lot of this, and it happens in the world, and you expect it, but it also happens in Christian ministries and stuff. There's so much self-promotion. There's so much of like, oh, look at me, and look at all these things that I've done, and here's all my list. And and it, it, it goes because there are a lot of Christians who do it, and you know how it is. Something happens for so long, people don't really recognize it as wrong anymore. And I see a lot of that, and so I would encourage you and I would encourage me as we look at that into verse 16, let's lay down all self-promotion. Let's just let go of that. Let's stop trying to prove to each other of, hey, look at my, look at my spiritual baseball card. <laughs> look at all these things I've done. What's your card like? Oh, my card's better than yours. Let's let go of all that stuff and exalt only the Lord. Just lift the Lord up, because here's what the Lord said to us. He, Jesus says, the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if you and I rightly want to be exalted by the Lord, then let's take that proper place of humility. Let's take that lowest seat. And then if and when he wants to exalt us, that's his business. Exaltation comes neither from the, you know, the east or the west or the south, but it comes from the Lord, the scripture says. And so for you and I, what great freedom we can have in life when we lay down all self-promotion. Such great freedom of saying, well, if the Lord wants to lift me up in any way, he's free to do that. He has the power to do it. I'm not going to do it. All right, verses 17 and 18. Here's our long obedience in the same direction. He says, oh God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I'm old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Now, so here it is. This is that long obedience in the same direction. He said, I have served you. I am serving you. Let me keep serving you. Please understand, there is no spiritual retirement for the believer. You may retire from a job, and, and that's great, but you never retire from serving the Lord. Okay, there's no spiritual retirement for the believer. We are to keep pursuing the Lord for as long as we're able. We're, and we want to share that with the next generation. Notice, notice that heart of his, until I declare your strength to this generation. So please understand that each one of us should be in three types of discipleship relationships. The first type is someone should be discipling us. Now, kind of where I am in life and just kind of how things are. I don't have any direct disciple. You know, I have any person that I meet with that's discipling me. But here's what I do is I have the books of C.S. Lewis and A.W. Tozer and, and Willard, and I have the teachings of Guzik and Chapman and all these people. So I'm seeking for them to disciple me. I'm seeking to learn from them. I'm seeking to understand and to grow. So I'm, I'm in that kind of relationship. But we also should be in a discipleship relationship where we're kind of co-laborers that you're interacting with people that are kind of in the same place in life. And, and maybe, you know, it's, it's a fellow parent trying to, to, to kind of raise their kids the right way. So you're on that level of just kind of teamwork together. You see that with a guy like Paul and Silas, right? They're going together and doing ministry together. But then also there should be a third type of relationship where we're actively discipling and mentoring someone who's younger than we are, or maybe younger in the faith. And you see this with like Paul and Timothy, and so the Lord's blessed me with a couple, some relationships like that as well. And, and so, so when we think about this, that's how we're going to grow, right? And we keep on doing this. We keep on serving. So I'd encourage you, someone to disciple you, someone to kind of do life together, and then someone that you're discipling. I would encourage you to pray about that. All right, let's move on to verse 19. It says, also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You have done great things, O God, who is like 
you. And so I would enc- this is an exhortation. This is kind of similar to what we saw in Isaiah earlier. But I would encourage you to study the works of God and ask yourself, who compares to him? Who compares to the Lord? And so, so for a little more into this, would you turn to John chapter 6 for just a moment? John chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages on this idea of, of who's like the Lord, who compares to the Lord. John chapter 6. It's a lot going on in John chapter 6. Hope that's not the Lord calling. Like, you know, it's not, you're not doing very well. So hopefully he'll just tell me directly. All right. John chapter 6. Lots going on. Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's gone over to the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Well, a whole group of people have come over, and they're pretending like they want to hear what Jesus has to say, but in reality, they just want another free lunch from Jesus. That's all they want. And so Jesus begins to challenge them, and he says some really hard things. And, and again, I've talked through this a couple of times, and so I'd encourage you, if you want more information on John chapter 6, you're interested in kind of my take on it, then you can listen to it online. But Jesus says some really hard things to them to point out that they're really not about him, they're just about themselves. And so we want to pick up this whole thing in, in uh, verse 60. Verse 60, it says, therefore many, uh, therefore many of his disciples, and it's important we understand this disciples here, it doesn't mean the 12. It, it means kind of like self-proclaimed followers. Okay, they're not really that dedicated. They're just kind of following him for now because Jesus is kind of a good thing. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. He's teaching. He's feeding people. So they're really excited about following him, but they're, they're, not, they're about to count the cost. So therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said to him, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And Jesus knew in himself that uh, his disciples complained about this, and he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is a spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. Okay, so Jesus knew that most of these disciples, they didn't really believe, and he also knew about Judas. That's what's being referred to there in verse 64. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And we've talked about this many times, that God is always the initiator, that God initiates that relationship, and we're merely the responders. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So Jesus shrunk his church in one easy step. (laughs) Right? He gave one sermon that the people didn't like, and they took off. Okay? And, and so, so here it is. This is where it's coming to my main point. It says, then Jesus said to the 12, here it is, do you also want to go away? Okay? This is something that you and I as believers are going to have to wrestle with. Because there's going to, you know, we're, uh, a sickness is going to come into our life, and we're going to kind of like, do we want to go away now? Right? Life doesn't go the way we want it to, and, and there's a temptation to leave Jesus. But look what Peter says. But Simon Peter said, answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, so, so the, the thing I want you to focus on, though, and, and the thing that I have kind of boxed in in my Bible in verse 68 is where he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? I want you just to think about that for just a minute. When you're tempted to leave Christ 
for a relationship or for a job or for this or that or, or to pay him back because things haven't gone. Let me, just, let me just ask you in this moment, where are you going to go? Once you have met Jesus Christ, your creator, your redeemer, the most unique and wonderful and loving person who's ever existed, who's going to compare to him? Who are you going to leave him for? There's no one else to go to. And so I'd encourage you to come back to this verse when you are tempted, because I guarantee you are going to be tempted from time to time to leave him. But ask yourself, who am I going to go to? (laughs) Who compares to him? Who is like him? Because I'll tell you right now, right, if, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, you know, there are a lot of things that could distract me, but there would be no central purpose to my life. There would be nothing that I'm going, no one I'm going toward. My whole life is motivated by the fact that I am going to see my Savior face to face one day. That's the thing that drives me. That, that's, that is the center of my life, that this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, created me, died for me, rose again, seated the right hand of the Father, and the day is coming where he's going to take me to himself. As much as I love my family, they can't compare with him. I've met a lot of wonderful people. I've read about a lot of wonderful people. None of them compare to him. There's no one like him. I would encourage you to hold on to this verse, to come back to it, to remind yourself of who he is and what he's done. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 71. We gotta bring this baby in for a landing soon. All right, verse 20 says, you have shown great and severe troubles. You have shown me great and severe troubles. You shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. And, and so, you know, the, we look at this and we see that the psalmist was rightly convinced that the best was yet to come. He says, it's been difficult, it's been hard, but here's the deal. The day is coming when you're going to come for me. And please remember that as a believer, that that the best is yet to come. That your best wasn't when you were cruising around as a senior wearing your letterman jacket. (laughs) That was not the best. The best is yet to come. And remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.4, that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. That's what we have to look forward to. Verse 22 says, Also with a lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God, and I will sing with, to you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. Real quick here, praising God with instruments is a good thing. I know there's some traditions who say, no, it's, it's wrong. You, you shouldn't use instruments in, in service. And that's great for them. That's what they want to believe. The scriptures make it clear. It's great to use instruments to worship the Lord. And that's what we're going to do. Verse 23, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul, which you have redeemed. So again, sing songs to the Lord. We talked about this earlier. And then verse 24, he says, my tongue shall also talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded and they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. And so just this kind of closing thing as we begin to wrap up our time together and think about this. Hey, it's good to talk about God all day long. And again, it goes back to what we treasure. Whatever we treasure, our heart will be connected to it. Whatever's in our heart, we'll speak about. And so the more that we treasure the Lord, the more that we'll talk about him. So it should be this natural overflow of our heart. A heart that treasures God We'll talk about it. So it's not spiritual pretense, right? It's not pretending. 
It, it's it's it, that when your heart is, is treasures the Lord, then that's what you're going to talk about. And kind of, I want to give you a, a couple of last verses before I move into my conclusion, because really this was the life of the Lord Jesus. Go back and read the Gospels and see the kind of things Jesus talked about. Jesus is constantly talking about the Father. And it was the outpouring of a life that was focused on God the Father. In fact, Jesus said this in John 12, verses 49 and 50. He says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but my Father who sent me gave me a command of what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And we look at that, and it's easy for us to say, well, that's Jesus, of course. Of course, that's the kind of stuff he's going to say. But let me give you a verse that ties it together. Let me give you a verse that shows that this sort of life is possible for all of us. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what Paul says. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you and I, as we treasure the Lord as our heart is drawn to him, those words are going to come out. Christ is living within us. He's filled with us, uh, with us with his spirit. Then what's going to happen is the overflow of our life is going to be about the Lord. And, and so some people are going to hate that, and that's okay. But you know what? To other people, you're going to be that strange puzzle riddle who opens them up to the scriptures, who opens them up to relationship with the Lord. So as we close, as believers, you and I, can complete a long obedience in the same direction. Please hear me. You can finish the race. You can continue fighting the good fight. You can end well. You and I can have that long obedience in the same direction. The faithful Christian life is possible. This has been proven countless times before. Over and over again, you can read stories of people who finished well. But guess what? You can be that in somebody else's story. You can be that picture, that person who through all your faults and failures and ups and downs, you continue walking with the Lord year after year, encouraging them that this life is possible. As you and I submit to the Lord, he will empower us to walk out this life with him. And that brings us to the, I'll close with these verses, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path.